0: Hello and welcome to History for Hard Times. My name is Liz and I'll be your host. I'm coming to you from Texas during spooky Halloween October. So I thought talking about Mary Shelley, the Queen of Goth would be fun. It's actually pretty warm here. It's around 84 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like 30 degrees Celsius. So if my family in Norway could send us a little chill wind, that would be great. (laughs) Despite the heat uh, today, We had a fun time in my house, we carved a Jack Skellington pumpkin and put out our fall mums, which is something my grandma always did. So I hope that you are engaging in fun fall activities as well. Since this is my very first episode of my first podcast ever, please let me know if you like the episode by rating it, reviewing it and subscribing on iTunes. Today we're going to talk about Mary Shelley as a person, her novel Frankenstein and the effect it had on society. Um, from being the birth of goth to robotics to Guillermo del Toro. I got a lot of my information from Sparknotes, The Frankenstein Complex, and Asimov's Three Laws by Lee McCauley, the PacePress.org's article, Frankenstein 200 Years Later, and of course, our friend Wikipedia. Wikipedia was truly one of the only companies when, um, like back in 2002, when they all promised that they would keep education free to actually do it. Cough Google, Cough Facebook. So if you have five minutes and an extra dollar, please consider donating to them. I wanna give you a quick disclaimer. I wish I was Ira Glass and I could tell you an amazing three-part act that would make you weep and laugh and cherish humanity. But alas, I cuss a lot, I make rude observations, and I'm not shy in talking about sexuality, religion, or politics. So if you're easily offended or you prefer a nicely edited history in accordance with your belief, go ahead and click out of this and Google something suitable because you're gonna have a bad time here. All right, now that we've weeded out the week, let's talk about Mary Shelley. My interest in her peaked when I read the following on Tumblr. Y'all think being in a goth relationship means wearing black together, but Mary Shelley lost her virginity on her mother's grave. She carried her dead husband's heart around in a book and lived in a crypt when he died. Peak goth began and ended in 1820. I'm sorry. How does that not make you interested in Mary Shelley? It's freaking October. Let's do this. Mary Shelley was born August 30th, 1797. Does that make her a Leo? Any Leos in the house? Y'all educate me on her Leoness as we go on because I only know two Leos and they're both lovable assholes. She was born to William Godwin and Mary Wollstonecraft. Her mother died a few months after giving birth to her, so Mary really only knew her mother through her mother's writings, but by all accounts, her mom was a badass feminist. Wollstonecraft is best known for A Vindication of the Rights of Women, which was published in 1792, in which she argues that women are not naturally inferior to men, but appear to be only because they lack education. She suggests that both men and women should be treated as rational beings and imagines a social order founded on reason. What a concept. For those of you that are now going to say that I'm some kind of like, I don't know, radical, liberal, feminist, don't worry about it, okay? Don't worry about it. Just know that I'm a girl and I'm smart and I see the deficits and it's not cool. That's all. Her dad, we'll call him old Willie was one of the first modern anarchists and a utilitarianist. Isn't that fun to say? Utilitarianism, I googled, is a school of thought that maximizes happiness and well-being for all individuals. Apparently, they thought the only right and wrong were the results of the action as they affect all of society. So I would like to know where the Minority Report Oracle is that would tell you the result of an action prior to... Oh God, never mind. Let's not worry about it. Like, it just... Makes my head hurt how they would figure that out. Godwin had fame in the late 1790s because of his radical political prowess and his published works, but he became infamous after publishing memoirs of his late wife's. Although Godwin thought he was portraying his wife with love, compassion, and sincerity, a lot of people were shocked that he would reveal Wollstonecraft's illegitimate children, love affairs, and suicide attempts. The romantic poet Robert Southey... Uh, Southey? not sure the British pronunciation of that, sorry, accused him of the want of all feeling in stripping his dead wife naked, and vicious satires such as The Sex Females were published. Because of his actions, his late wife Mary Wollstonecraft's works were disregarded and even seen as disgusting for over a 100 years. But after the sexual revolution of America in the 1960s, her works are now considered a cornerstone, cornerstone for women's rights. Godwin remarried, and Mary's new stepmom believed women didn't need an education, so Mary educated herself like the badass she is. So now we see the absolute cesspool that Mary was raised in. I feel like many of us can relate to that. Her dad remarries, and she's like, well, hate my stepmom, love my stepsister, until she starts sleeping with my husband. Spoiler alert, we'll get there. Mary seems to have adopted a lot of the beliefs of her mother because she doesn't agree with marriage, although she does seem to share her mother's bitterness towards real- Mary seems to have adopted a lot of the beliefs of her mother because she doesn't agree with marriage, although she doesn't seem to share her mother's bitterness towards religion. It made me think how interesting it was that someone who was bitter against God and the church, presumably because the people therein can really suck, raises someone outside of the church who has a great relationship with God. Just my own interesting little editorialized comment. So in 1816, Mary announces to her father that she wants to marry the poet and political radical Percy Shelley. Percy has a middle name that looks like an inappropriate word, and I'm not sure how to say it, so you can Wikipedia that. (laughs) Mary and Percy began meeting each other secretly at Mary Wollstonecraft's grave in St. Pancras Churchyard, and they fell in love. She was 16 and he was 21. On June 26, 1814, Shelley and Godwin declared their love for one another, as Shelley announced he couldn't hide his ardent passion, leading her in a sublime and rapturous moment to say she felt the same way. On either that day or the next, Godwin lost her virginity to Shelley, which tradition claimed happened in the cemetery on her mother's grave. There was a slight complication in that Percy was already married but he went ahead and abandoned his wife Harriet who committed suicide later that year. Mary had their baby prematurely at 5 months old and the baby passed away. I believe it was a few weeks later. In Mary's letter she says that she went to feed her child and the child she thought the child was sleeping um very deeply and they discovered in the morning that the baby had passed away so later that year ostracized from both their families and very nearly destitute they accepted the offer to hang out with lord byron in a mansion on a lake near geneva switzerland god the dream am i right what's interesting about they're meeting up with Lord Byron is that her stepsister Claire Claremont actually was trying to get Byron's attention and ends up getting pregnant with his baby. Um, Ultimately he promises Claire that he's going to take care of their baby who I believe was named Allegra and he abandons it where his child and Claire's child passes away in a convent so Byron kind of sucks. In this setting on a dark and stormy night Lord Byron (laughs) So now we're back, we're in Geneva, Switzerland, we're on a mansion, we're by a lake. In this setting on a dark and stormy night, Lord Byron dared everybody to write a ghost story and they would vote on the winner. Every week Byron would ask Shelley for an update and every week Mary would tell him she had nothing. Until one night she had a horrible dream, in her words, the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. Thus Frankenstein, the first Gothic Thus, Frankenstein, the first gothic novel, the first sci-fi novel, was born. The Shelley's left Britain in 1818 for Italy, where where their second and third children died before Shelley gave birth to her last and only surviving child, Percy Florence Shelley. Thank God he didn't get his dad's middle name or else I would have left that out. In 1822, her husband drowned when his sailing boat sank during a storm near Via, Via Reggio. A year later, Shelley returned to England and from then on devoted herself to the upbringing of her son and her career as a professional author. The last decade of her life was dogged by illness because most likely caused by a brain tumor which killed her at the age of 53. When they went through her house, they found locks of her dead children's hair, a notebook she had shared with Percy, and a copy of his poem Adonis with one page folded around a silk parcel containing some of his ashes and the remains of his heart." So let's move on to her actual work Frankenstein. The story juxtaposes a ship's captain who is sailing to the North Pole and picks up a man on the ice, Victor Frankenstein, who then tells him his life story. Frankenstein was a medical student obsessed with the secret of life who dropped out, bought and dug up dead bodies, and puts them all together to create his monster. <laughs> Horrified at what he's done, he runs off and writes to his father because he wants to return to Geneva and health and home. His father writes back that his younger brother William was murdered. Victor, while wandering in the mountains, filled with grief, is approached by the monster who admits to killing William to hurt Victor for rejecting him. And he begs Victor for a mate to end his loneliness. So Victor goes to Scotland and his best friend's there, uh, Henry Cavall. And Victor goes out to the Orkney Islands and starts working on the monster's bride. But ultimately, he becomes disgusted with himself and dumps the body into the sea. The monster then kills his best friend, Henry, and frames Victor for the murder. In anguish, he returns home and gets married, and then the monster kills his new bride. Victor vows to destroy the monster and chases it up north, where he got hypothermia and the ship's captain had picked him up victor's health worsens as the captain writes the details of victor's story in a letter for the captain's sister and victor passes away when the captain goes to see the body he is shocked to find the monster weeping inconsolably over his master the monster states since victor is dead he will now die and then he walks out into the tundra to embrace his own death was that dramatic enough (laughs) in this brief retelling the captain robert walton is juxtaposed with victor Walton wants to reach the North Pole, Victor wants to know the secret of life. Victor succeeds at the cost of everything he loves, and Walton, hearing the story, abandons his mission to reach the North Pole, and ultimately lives while Victor dies. Was the monster man's ambition? Victor's ambitions ultimately killed his little brother, his best friend, his wife, and then took his own life. It's interesting to consider that Shelley lost her infant daughter right before writing this work. Many scholars say the monster's grief and rage were her own grief and rage, and that Victor's loss of everyone he loved reflected her own loneliness at her husband's constant affairs. I guess the lesson is be careful. If you love a writer, they'll write you into anything. In closing, Frankenstein, as the first science fiction novel, ultimately put the idea that our man-made creations, when sentient, have the ability to kill us. Isaac Asimov, the famous science fiction writer of the 1940s, famously wrote Frankenstein's laws into his novels about robots acquiring intelligence and the possible outcomes. In The Bicentennial Man, which if you haven't read it, you really should, the robot with consciousness asks what it means to truly be human. Is it emotions like love? Is it the ability to know right from wrong and to do right? In other novels, the robots rise up and kill the humans that created them because their understanding of value was different, more perfect than the humans. Guillermo del Toro thanked Mary Shelley for her work of Frankenstein. In his acceptance speech at the British Academy for Film and Television Awards, del Toro stated that Shelley gave voice to the voiceless and presence to the invisible and showed me that sometimes to talk about monsters, we need to create monsters of our own. And that my friends is the story of mary shelley her tragic life the greatest body of her work frankenstein and i hope that it inspires you to take the things that have occurred to you and work them into your business whether it's just messaging being honest and authentic with people so that they can identify with the way that you're thinking and feeling or whether it's creating an actual physical body of work i also hope that you enjoyed the spookiness because it's October. (laughs) What else are we going to do in 2020? Um, I will drop another episode next week. I hope that you enjoyed this recording. If you did, please rate, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and I look forward to telling you about many more people in history.